Perhaps the most profound question any one of us asks in our lifetime is the question of why do I exist? At different moments and in different ways, this question seems to show up in our lives. Perhaps you've had this question come to mind as you're sitting still in some moment, maybe as you're in your bed drifting off to sleep, you've had this thought come through your mind, why am I here? Why do I exist? Or perhaps this question has felt like it's been screamed at you in the midst of adversity or difficulty. You've been going through a hard situation and all of a sudden you're like, why is this happening and why do I exist? Not only the question, this question is important, also the way we answer it is really important. And so I put it to you, how would you answer that question? Why do you exist? Maybe some of you would say, well, I'm not really sure. I don't know. I'd like to know, but I don't know. Others would say, well, I exist to be happy or to live a good life or to do good things. Others would still say, no, no, no. This is a question you can't answer. It's a mystery. Nobody can figure this out. We don't know why we exist. And still other people would say, well, I exist because I'm created by God and I live for his glory. Now, that is what a Christian could or should say, and that is what the Bible teaches. And we're going to talk a little bit about what does that exactly mean. There's an older song in church spheres, and by older I mean it's about two decades old. It was released in 2001, and it's called One Thing. And this song used to make me and some of my friends chuckle a little bit because in the bridge, the lyrics of the song say this, and all of life comes down to just one thing. And so you, you sing that line and you're like, okay, well, what is it? What does it all come down to? And then it goes on and says, that's to know you, oh Jesus, and to make you known. And we used to chuckle about this because we're like, okay, it's saying that all of life comes down to one thing and then it gives us two things. And the question is, which one is it? Is it to know God or to make him known? However, as I reflect back on that particular song, I can actually see the point of the songwriter more and more. And I actually agree with his point. And that is that life is all about God. If you want a simple one word answer to why do we exist, the answer is God. And inside of that, there are two sub answers. One is to know him, to know God. And the second is to make him known. Now, Considering who God is and, and knowing Him, that is a vastly important thing to do and something that we have talked about in the past. We will talk, I'm sure, even in this message about and then in the future we'll talk about. But for the next few weeks in particular, we're going to focus on the subject of making God known. And when we talk about this, it does make us a little bit uncomfortable. God is very capable of making Himself known. God tells us in his word that all creation loudly points to his reality. Psalm one, uh, not 119, Psalm 19 verse 1 says the heavens declare the glory of God. They don't just kind of mumble it. They don't whisper the glory of God. No, they declare. That means to speak loudly. So when you and I see a beautiful sunset, when we see a beautiful uh, scope of stars in front of us, or maybe you've seen a shooting star. All of these things are pointing to the reality of something much greater, much more powerful than what we just see. It's all declaring that there is a God. 
And so God can for him speak for himself. He can point people towards himself through his creation. But God in his perfection and in his wisdom has chosen to also use us human beings to point towards him. Any person who believes in God and in his son, Jesus, is given this vital task of pointing people towards God. And I say vital task because I think often those of us who are Christians don't see it as as vital as it is or as it should be. In fact, we actually see this as a secondary task oftentimes or some sort of nice suggestion that we would share, that we would make known God. And so rather than me just saying all of these things and saying, well, we're, we're to make God known and, and, and we, don't, we, we don't think about this as much as we could or should and we don't operate in this way, rather than me just spouting opinion here, let's turn to God's word and see what God tells us about this, this thing in particular. And so I'm going to invite you to turn in a Bible with me to Matthew chapter 28. So Matthew 28 is where I'm ch- turning right now. And as you're doing that, I'd invite you to, yes, turn there with me. But I also would invite you to think about the context of this passage a little bit. So here's a little bit of context for us. What we know is this is a hugely important moment. And I say that because if you flip back through to see what's going on, what you'll see is that Jesus has just died on the cross. And this wasn't just some random death. This was something that God had orchestrated so that he could pay for the sins of the world. And to show his victory over those sins, God raises Jesus back to life. In fact, if you, the start of chapter 28 is all about the resurrection. And so after this is, yes, a very significant moment. Jesus has just beaten death. And the question that should be on our minds as we read, and is certainly on the minds of the disciples in this moment, the followers of Jesus, is what's going to happen now? Are they going to march on into Jerusalem? Is Jesus going to seize power? Well, no, actually what they find out is that he's planning to leave and he's leaving with a promise of coming back. But whatever he says in the next few moments is going to be hugely important. Just think about this for a moment. If you were about to leave your family and you only had one or two minutes left with them, what would you say? Whatever you would say in those one or two minutes would be hugely significant. And much in the same way as we read these words, we've got to see these are hugely significant words. And so let's read together from verse uh, 18 together in chapter 28 of Matthew. Jesus, and, and it starts out by saying, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, this, is, this is a good verse, by the way. It's reminding us that Jesus is powerful. He has proved that he is God. He's proved that he has victory over all things. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so what does he say next? Well, he says, go, therefore, and make disciples. As in, you guys, you know this to be true. I'm God. I'm king over all things. I've I've made a way for you to be right with God. And he's saying, go and share this message. You're my followers. Go and make more followers. That's what a disciple is. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus left in this moment and 
To date, he has not returned in bodily form. And what that means is that we are still in this same age that Jesus is talking about. He says, I'm with you always to the end of the age. We are still in this same age. We call this the age of the church. It's when the church was established and, and it's, it's been in existence for about 2,000 years. But what this also means is that this charge, this call, this commission to go and to make a disciples still applies to us today, to those of us who are disciples, followers of Jesus. Our purpose for living in this world is not to build nice houses. It's not to get a good education. It's not to get a good job or to have good careers or to give our kids great experiences in their lifetime. It's not to work really hard so that we can enjoy a very relaxed retirement. Our purpose that is as clear as day is to make God known. I mean, this is not my opinion. Again, it's verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. This command has not run out. To be a Christian is to be a sent person. Every Christian has this call. Every Christian has this purpose. But sadly, not every Christian embraces this calling. I'm sure that many of you, if you think about it, can think of people who claim to be Christians, but they turn people away. They actually do the opposite of, of, of bringing people to faith. They, they turn them away from faith. These are the people who, who say they know Christ, and yet their life or their words just don't line up with that claim. These are the people that you see posting things on social media. They're very overt about being a Christian, but then when you see the way that they speak or the way that they reference people or even their faith, you're like, wow, you're turning people away from God. Or maybe these are the people that you know that are in the community who, yes, everybody knows they go to church, but they treat people horribly. I want to ask us a pretty raw and honest question at this moment. And that is, is it possible at times this has been us? Have we said or done things that push people away from God? The truthful answer probably is yes. This is definitely an issue, but perhaps the more common or the greater issue amongst most of us who believe is the issue of indifference. You see, we hear a passage like Matthew 28, which is, by the way, often called the Great Commission, and we think of it as more of it as the Great Suggestion. It's something that, you know, really intense Christians should do, or maybe leaders of the church, this is for them to do, the command to go and to make disciples. Or perhaps it's something that's reserved for extroverts, or maybe some of us even think it's just for people who have the gift, the spiritual gift of evangelism. In fact, I really appreciate what one retired pastor from New York, a guy named Tim Keller, says about this. I want to read for you a section from a book, that, and, and these thoughts I think are so on point. He says this, So while we, as in Christians, are not called to be preachers, not, we are not all called to be preachers or prophets or missionaries, Every believer is called to go. It means to be willing to leave the safety and security in order to share the good news of Jesus with others. This may not, listen to this, entail having 
to leave physical, sorry, this may not entail leaving physically and social locations, but it will always mean taking a risk and vulnerability. Mission, he goes on to say, is not only for, for the spiritual elite or for those who are well-rested or for people with the gift of the gab or for outgoing personalities or for those with theological training. It is for every person who belongs to him. It is because God is by nature ascending God. He never calls us in to bless us with, without also sending us out to be a blessing to others. So there's a question in my mind here. Why? Why do, why do we struggle with this calling? Why do we push against at times this calling or want to defer it to others? Why do we not want to go and to make disciples? And I believe there is a major problem underlying all of this, which is a problem to do with our passion. We don't believe that the good news is actually that good. Have you ever come across someone who is really passionate about something? Think about that for a moment. Maybe you've found somebody who is really passionate about their diet and they've, they've unlocked some secret inside of having a certain type of diet. Or, or maybe somebody who's really into their exercise program. I'm, I'm looking at anybody who's interested in CrossFit, right? Like there's all these different things or a hobby that they're really into, a TV show, a movie, a, a, a cause, some sort of charity organization that they're really all about. And the question is, if you've met somebody like that, how easy is it to stop them from speaking about their passion? And the answer to that question is it's not easy. It doesn't matter whether they're an extrovert or an introvert, their passion will naturally overflow. Liz and I, my wife and I, we have a good friend, a, a young lady that we know uh, from the United States, and she's a friend of ours, but we would probably tell you that she is the shyest or the most introverted person that we know. One thing that we've discovered with her is that if you get her talking about dogs, look out. She's passionate about dogs, and so it'll be actually hard for you to get her to stop talking about dogs, even though she's super introverted. When the good news is actually good to us, we will not be able to contain it. Like an overfull river that overflows its banks, our hearts, when they are filled with the goodness of God, our lives and even our lips will overflow with speaking of the goodness of God and the good news that we have believed. Jesus himself said when talking about people's lives and their passions in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, that out of the abundance of the heart... The mouth speaks. Whatever our heart is full of, we're going to naturally talk about. And so when Jesus asked his followers, as he did here in Matthew 28, verse 19, to go and to share the good news, he wasn't in fact asking them to share something that they weren't interested in or passionate about. This was what their lives were all about now. They had found forgiveness in Jesus. They had found eternal life in Jesus. They had found a way to be right with God in Jesus. And this to them was the best news ever. They were deeply impacted and changed by this news. And so when Jesus comes to them and calls them to go, asking them to simply share that which was now most important to them, 
That wasn't a difficult task. They were changed and they wanted to share about their change. And we see if we actually travel further on into the New Testament in the Bible, we find another character, a guy named Paul, who goes through a similar change. And he actually talks about the change that took place and how his priorities and his passions change. I'm actually going to turn to a passage where he lists these things out. Um, I'm going to be going to Philippians chapter 3 if you want to join me there. Philippians chapter 3 is where I'm turning. If I can get there. Here we go. Philippians 3. And I'm going to read uh, sections. Uh, I'll read from verse 4. And what's happening here is Paul's talking here about people who are trying to be legalistic and to earn God's approval. And he's identifying and saying, I used to be like that. And what he says here, he says, though I myself, this is verse four of chapter three of Philippians, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, as in confidence in all the things I've done. If anyone else thinks he has reasons for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And then he goes and lists out the things that he used to be passionate about. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. That means I'm a really, you know, a very orthodox Jew. And then he goes on and he goes on to say, um, I was circumcised on the eighth day uh, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. And so he's saying, I'm, I'm a super, you know, I was super into my religion and the following and being a Jew and being all that that meant. And he goes on and says, as to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church as to righteousness under the law, blameless as and I was doing everything that the law told me to do. This is what was most important to him. But whatever I gained, this is verse seven, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, as in I've given up on all of those things that I used to pursue and be passionate about um, and count them, hear this, as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. He sees those things now as rubbish. And that's not a small statement. What he's saying is these passions that I used to be interested in now, I have I found a passion that beats them all. In fact, this new passion of, of knowing God and making him known, of, of knowing this Jesus, makes the old passions look like rubbish in con- comparison. And that translation of that word rubbish is maybe a little bit too kind. If you dig into what that word means, it means refuse or dung. What Paul is telling us is he had found the pearl of greatest value that Jesus talked about. What is the pearl of greatest value? Well, it's a one sentence parable, which is a picture story that Jesus used to tell, kind of an analogy type thing, where Jesus talked about what is most important. And it's found in Matthew chapter 13, verse 45 to 46. I'll just read it for you. It says this, again, the kingdom of heaven, this is Jesus speaking is like a merchant, as in a merchant in search of fine pearls, this guy looking for pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. This is an analogy, a, a picture of the gospel. When we find the good news, it should become the pearl of greatest value to us. And so the question we need to ask ourselves, is the good news of greatest value to us? Is the hope that we have in Jesus, if that is something that we believe, the most important thing about us? 
I could sit here for the next couple of weeks with you and talk about the importance of sharing our face, of sharing this good news until I'm blue in the face. And we can talk about different strategies for that. We can talk about how to be intentional with our time or what words we say when we talk to people who, who are not part of the Christian faith. But the truth is, unless our hearts are full and overflowing with the goodness of God and the goodness of this good news, it will not be something that we will naturally want to share. So I need to ask you, do you believe the good news? And not just, yeah, I think so. Are you passionate about the good news? Is it truly good to you? Do you and I value this message of hope that we believe in more than anything else? Is God and the message of His love the pearl of greatest value to us? Maybe it would be helpful in this moment to just remind you of why it could and should be. God, the creator of all things, made you. And there weren't any accidents involved in that. Actually, He made you with great care, with great intentionality and purpose. There's a whole psalm that talks about that in Psalm 139. And I'll read you just the verse, verse 16. It says this, God, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. God sees us and didn't just see us. He made us. He knows us better than anyone. And God has seen all the moments of our lives. He's seen even the things that we think about. Hebrews 4 verse 13 says there is nothing in all creation that's hidden from God. And what that means is that's actually some not so great news because it means that he has seen our selfishness. He has seen our private, he's seen our evil, and he has seen all of these things which are called sin. And we're all guilty of different sins in our lives. Romans 3.23 tells us for all, as in every person that has ever lived, All have sinned and fallen short of the glorious standard of God, as in what God requires of us. But the news doesn't stop there. That's an important part of the news, but it goes on and tells us that God in His goodness and love made a way for us to be saved from our sins. And that way is through Jesus. Romans 5 verse 8 tells us, But God showed His great love for us. By sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. That's why Jesus came. He didn't just come to earth to give us a pat on the back or to tell us some cool stories. No, he came to die for our sins, to make us right with God. Romans 6, actually, the next chapter puts it this way in verse 23. For the wages of sin, as in the ultimate result of sin, is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. I hope as I say these things to you that you would hear them and recognize them for what they are. They are good news. This is the gospel. That's what that word gospel means, good news. And if we believe it, I believe that news that I just shared is impossible for us to keep to ourselves. And so I want to ask you what is a very serious question in this moment, that is, If what I just shared, if this good news doesn't seem that good to you, I want to challenge you to ask God why that is. 
Ask God, why am I not amazed by the gospel? Why is my heart not full of the gospel? Is it because you don't think that you're actually that sinful or that bad? Is it because this whole thing that we're talking about here and what I've just mentioned sounds like some sort of mystical fairy tale? We cannot settle. You and I cannot settle for just being okay with the good news. It should make our hearts swell. It should fill us with such joy and peace and hope. Rico Tice in his book, Faithful Leaders, says this, You will treasure the gospel, which is what we're talking about here. You will treasure the gospel to the degree that you remember its truths and the degree that you see your sin. And so if you're not treasuring the gospel, I want to ask you, are you remembering its truths? And are you seeing how much you've been saved from, how sinful you really are? Let us be people that treasure this good news. Knowing that as we treasure the good news, that we will also be people who can't help but share the good news with the people that God places around us. What I'm saying here and what my hope is for you and for me is that God would do a good work in us so that he can do a good work through us. That's my prayer.